want to introduce to you our speaker. Uh, Jay originally was going to come and kind of, you know, put the cap on, be the message, but uh, the snow kind of messed that up for us. Any better remember that? Just, you know, the few inches. <laughs> I, I, you know, somebody asked me, Pastor, have you ever, in 34 years of ministry, ever canceled in April? I said, no, not ever. In fact, I said, I'm not now. And so I looked out and saw a six-foot bank in front of the entire entrance. And I went, okay, maybe. (laughs) And so uh, I'm glad to see that the snow is almost completely gone. And I really don't want to see any for quite a while. (laughs) But uh, we had a group that went down uh, just last spring to be part of uh, work detail in East St. Louis. Uh, Jay Corbett, I've known him uh, for quite a few years. Jay is a church planner, but more than that, he mentors and prepares church planners. And they plant churches in inner city areas. And East St. Louis is one of those areas that uh, for many years, they tried to start a missions work there, and, and every time it failed. And now there are two church plants that are thriving in that area. And so let's give a warm sunrise welcome to Jay Covert. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, Pastor Mark holds the record for the, uh, the church uh, sending the most consecutive teams over 40 times through the years. They came and worked on all of our buildings there in East St. Louis, and we've hosted uh, hundreds of teams through the years there. Um, a little history on myself, I'm a 91 Teen Challenge graduate, uh, three years master's commission, um, been doing inner city ministry now for going on 19 years. So I'm nationally appointed with the Assemblies of God. I plant churches in some of America's most violent, most dangerous cities. Uh, currently right now we have 11 plants going in 11 different cities and we are debt free inner city ministry. So we run all of our stuff debt free. Each and every uh, month. Um, I'm, I'm, I grew up in a small farming community in Indiana. And so I tell people all the time, I'm not a uh, U.S. missionary. I'm a foreign missionary. I was not raised in their city. And so uh, to paint a picture, East St. Louis, 1970s, there were three Assembly of God churches there. 1983, the last one closed. 1983 to 2004, people in the Assemblies of God would go to East St. Louis, they'd try to plant a church, they would last less than a year, they would leave. So 2004, uh, before I went to East St. Louis for four years, I was in Southeast Washington, D.C., very violent, very dangerous city. My family was the first white family to move in that all-black neighborhood in 30 years. And so we were in the Marshall Heights neighborhood for four years and uh, worked with the missionary there, trained with him. And then as I began to pray and ask God where he'd want me to go, he said, I want you to go to East St. Louis. I said, oh, God, that's such a violent city. You know, why, why do I have to go? And he said, that's where I want you. So, uh, you know, we were, you know, my first day there, June uh, 29, 2004, I found a bus bench. I sat on it. I said, God, I'm here now. What do you want me to do? You sent me here with no building, no staff. I don't know anybody. And so God spoke three things to me that day. He said, I want you to reach out to the addicted, the afflicted, and the hopeless. I want you to plant churches and raise up indigenous leaders. And so just in the St. Louis metro, we have four church plants that, that we planted there now. And so 
you know, we evolved um, our ministry there. Uh, it, just in East St. Louis, we have four buildings. And if you were to see what that city looked like, and some, a couple of you guys did see what it looked like, it looks like a foreign country. Everything around us is either boarded up, burned up, or barred up. It, it just, it's, it's just it's something you'd have to see. Last year, we closed out the year with 35 murders in a city of 25,000. It's the highest per capita in the United States. And so we bought our first two buildings there for $15,000. We bought our uh, third building there for $11,000. We bought our fourth building, which was actually the nicest one that we have there, for $7,000. And so what a deal, right? $33,000. We have a a half a block in downtown East St. Louis. And so um, we launched our first church, 06, and then in... um, July of 07, we were given a 10,000 and a 4,000 square foot building. And so it's in a community called Washington Park. Now, like in East St. Louis, uh, last year, April of last year, two guys were shot and killed right across the street from our church. Two years prior to that, another guy was shot and killed to own the building across the street from our church. A couple of years ago, I had a pastor visiting with me, and we were just checking out the city, and all of a sudden, we got caught up in gang crossfire on my side of the van, uh, 20-some gunshots, 300 feet away. Then the driver and shear pulled out of the parking lot, shot up two cars behind us, six people were hurt. And so Washington Park is another community that um, it was a thriving Assembly God church there at one time. In its heyday, that church ran 800. It was a very strong missions-giving church. And so July of 07, it closed. It dwindled down to nothing. The, the Illinois district said, look, we don't know what to do with this building. Do you want it? I said, I'll take it in, on one condition, that I can do whatever I want with it. And so they said, sure, okay. And so um, we planted a Spanish-speaking church in an all-black neighborhood. And they said that would not work. They said, you guys are crazy. That, that, you can't do that. Well, here's what I've learned. What may be impossible with man is possible with God. And God's called us to be the message, to take a stand and be a light in darkness. Now, Washington Park's a city of 5,400 people. It's not a big community. A couple years ago, the mayor was shot twice in the chest and killed in his car in broad daylight. A couple years ago, we found a teenager been shot in the head, face down, and pulled blood in our church parking lot. Happened on Saturday night, so we get to church on Sunday morning. Not only are we having service, but we have a live crime scene going on in our parking lot. And so we planned a church there, and I knew that when we were given those buildings and God spoke to me to plant that church, I knew that it was going to take a unique type of person to do it. And so I spent a year praying and asking God for the right pastor. And um, 11 months into it, I get a phone call from a guy named Ricardo Valdez. He, he said, I was given your name and number, heard that you plant churches, um, and I would like to meet with you. So I said, well, let's meet um, tomorrow at Cracker Barrel. And, and so he said, well, I have a friend that will be with me. I said, that's fine. So I called one of my pastors, and I said, uh, Shamika, I want you to come with me and uh, meet these guys. And so we were walking around Cracker Barrel trying to f- find out, you know, figure out who Ricardo Valdez is. And I see this guy stand up. He has a suit and tie on. He looks just like a pastor. And I said to Shamika, hey, there's the guy right there. She's like, how do you know? I said, he looks like a pastor. 
And, and so it was him. And so we, we sit down, we're talking to him. And then this other guy walks in. He has all these tattoos. He's a rough looking guy. He walks up to Ricardo. Ricardo stands up. They start speaking Spanish and then they sit down. Now I'm processing all this. I'm trying to figure out who's this guy. And as we're eating lunch, I look at the guy with the suit and tie on and the Lord says, he's not the pastor. And I look at the guy that looks really rough and, and, and you know, 60% of his body's tattooed. And, and the Lord says, he's your pastor. I said, well, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know. I mean, who am I to, to, to say who you want to use? And so I took these two men to this, those buildings and I said, look, uh, God spoke to me at Plant Church. I believe that you guys are going to work together and, and I can admit to you in one year we'll launch the work. And so we got back to Crackerbury. I dropped them off. I said to Shamika, Shamika, which one is the pastor? And she said, well, while we were eating lunch, God spoke to me and said the man with the suit and tie on was not the pastor, but it was the guy with the tattoos. I said, good, you heard from God too. I said, that's why I brought you, because she moves in the prophetic. She has an ear to hear and eyes to see what the Lord's saying. And so we launched that work with Ramon Granaz, and this is what happened. In July of 07, when God gave us those buildings and told me to plant that church, in August of 07, God spoke to Ramon Granadas in Las Cruces, New Mexico, to move up to the St. Louis and plant church. It took God 13 months to put us together, and so he, you know, he'd been with me about five months into it, and then he, he, I guess he felt bad. He said, Pastor, I have something to confess to you. I said, what is it? He said, by the time I was 39 years old, I spent 19 years in prison. I'm an ex-felon. I said, so, so, what, so what happened? He said, well, I did a lot of consultory. I'd spent a lot of my time in consultory confinement because I was such a violent offender. And it was in 2000 that when I was locked up in consultory confinement that someone slid a Bible underneath my door and I began to read it. And I gave my, my life to Christ. And then in 2002, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then they released me. I went back to Las Cruces, New Mexico and for five years every weekend I went into Juarez and did street ministry. And then God spoke to me to move up here to plant a church. And then now I'm working with you. Today, he's ordained with the Assemblies of God. And he's not only planted one church, he's planted two. Because we have a second one we just launched. And I think about that often. And I think about this. What if I would have been like most church people? And said, no way. I'm not going to even consider this guy. Look at him. He doesn't look like a, a church person. He's all tattooed and rough looking. What if I would have done that? You know what would have happened? We would have missed out. I want to encourage you this morning, church, not to get concerned and consumed with what people look like, but to allow them an opportunity to open up their heart and allow them to, to show you who they are on the inside and not the outside. Because God wants to do a work in this church and God wants to do a work in your city. And if we get concerned and consumed with what people look like, we will miss the mark of what God wants to do. Listen, the days are old, they're gone. You can't relish and, and, and look back on what was the past. You gotta move forward. God wants to do a new thing in this body of believers. 
God wants to do something new and and he wants to, to put creative juices in some of you. And there are people in this room this morning that God is calling to stand up and start to do a work in this body of believers. There are people in this, in this building this morning that God has ordained and commissioned you to start ministries. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you do not have an exemption card for ministry. God has not called the church to warm the pew. God has called the church to fill the pew. And it starts with every one of us. God has called every one of us to do something for the kingdom of God. Listen, we're in a day and age right now in the assemblies of God that we have more people that are a penny, they're, they're what I call apologizing Pentecostals. They're just going around apologizing for everything. Friend, God's not called us to apologize, God's called us to move in His power and in His presence. God has orchestrated and ordained the body of believers in this day and age in America to move in the apostolic and prophetic mantle of anointing, to operate all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How will they know outside the walls of this building this morning unless we reach them? God is calling the church in this day and hour to step up and step out. Get out of the comfort zone. And listen, I know for 19 years, God's been pushing me. I'm an introvert, very introverted. And so every weekend, God makes me become an extrovert. Because I go every weekend, I go all over the country, and I have to preach every weekend in churches, and it's, it's a stretch, but I do it. I mean, listen, I put my backpack in the middle seat on Southwest every flight because I don't want, I don't want somebody sitting next to me. I need my space. And I put my, my headphones on purpose. But God's stretching some of you today to do his work. You know, when we launched the the Hispanic work, I said, Lord, what what do you want me to do now? And I heard him say, I want you to reach the Bosnians. I said, I I don't understand. He said, they're over the river. St. Louis has the largest Bosnian population outside of Bosnia. There's 70,000. 90% of them are Muslim. The city of St. Louis is only 350,000, one-fifth of our population is Bosnian. It used to be that we go overseas to reach the nations of the world. Now the nations of the world are right here in our backyard. They're right here in our country. They're in our cities. And so we planted a work amongst the Bosnians. And, and you know, it, it was really neat how God did. He used the Hobby Lobby and Blue Bunny ice cream. I didn't ask them for anything, but they both wrote checks out for $50,000 and gave us 100,000 cash. We bought a building for $100,000 and planted bio, Bosnian International Outreach. And the building appraised for 120,000 now. And so after we launched that work, then I heard the Lord say, I want you to reach, I want you to begin to look at and plant in Denver. And I said, oh Lord, you're not gonna make me move there, are you? Because it's cold and they get a lot of snow. He said, no. (laughs) He said, no, but I want you to plant in the most violent part of that city. And so God gave me a guy named Isaac Oliveras, and Isaac and I were talking. I said, Isaac, do you know where the most violent part of the city is? He said, that's the Five Points neighborhood. I said, well, that's where you have to plant. 
And he said, well, what do I do? I said, well, you don't have a building, and so you need to begin to prayer walk the community, and the the Lord will show you what to do. And so he began to prayer walk the Five Points neighborhood. And in his prayer walks, he came across a woman named Geraldine. And she's a crack addict. She's, She's a prostitute. She's pregnant. And she says, Isaac, I'm pregnant. And Isaac says, well, do you mind if I pray for your baby? She said, I don't care. And so he laid hands on her stomach and he prayed for her baby that day. And for several months when he would see her, he would talk to her and he would just automatically pray for her baby. He was building a relationship with her. Then she began to open up to him. She said, Isaac, do you know that I've had four other babies? But they weren't born in a hospital. Matter of fact, I, I pulled two of those babies out of myself when I was getting high in a crack house. Now the fifth baby was born in a hospital. And she had drugs and alcohol in her system. And the hospital says to uh, Geraldine, you can't take this baby home. Do you have any family? She said, I don't have any family. Do you know anybody that will take your baby? She said, I don't know anybody that will take my baby. Can you think of anybody? Because if not, then your baby's going to have to go through the system. And then she said, wait a minute. My pastor, they'll take the baby. And 11 days after Nisaiah was born, Isaac and Jamie took that baby home. Do you know what Nisaiah means? For God's performed a miracle. A year later, they adopted that baby. Friend, if you get anything from this message this morning, this is what I want you to get. God's not concerned about our talents and our gifts and our money and all our ability as much as he's concerned about our commitment to the cause of Christ. Are we committed to the cause of Christ this morning? Are we committed to reach the people outside the walls of this church? And there are people in your city this morning that are going to crack hell wide open. There are people, they are marching to a devil's hell. And God is calling us, the church, to reach out and reach them. To love them where they're at. You know, I say it all the time. We have to love Jesus in people and love the hell out of them. Because people live hellish lives. Listen, God's not called any of us to change anyone. God has not called us to change people. God has called us to love people and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. All we are are the hands and feet of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he does the rest. He does the changing. He does the equipping. That's his job. And so our church in Denver, it's different in that Denver has a homeless population of 4,000. So every Thursday night, we open up our, our building and we feed the homeless. We, do, we spend about $40,000 a year and we get substantial discounts with the uh, catering companies and we cater a meal to the homeless. We pack our building out. They're renovating the building right now because we don't have enough room. People wait in line to get into the church on Thursday nights before we're even ready to open up. Why? Because they know we're going to love them. Why? Because they know we're going to feed them. Because Jesus said to the least of these, he loves those people as much as he loves you and I. He died for them just the same as he did you and I. And and I've been there on Thursday nights and I've smelt the stench of alcohol and the stench of homelessness and, 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 you know, drugs. 
But then I look at Isaac, and I see what he's doing, and it's like, wow, he's the hands and feet of Jesus. He's making a difference. Listen, for the past 258 consecutive uh, Thursday nights, we've not missed a week. In and out, every week. It's what we do. I have one more story. I went to Teen Challenge in Cleveland, Ohio. And so I just knew how to fly into the airport, get my rental car, and then beeline over to Teen Challenge. I mean, for years when I'm speaking in churches in Ohio, it's just something I do. I just like to go by there and remember where I came from. And, and so on this particular day, as I was driving the interstate, there, it wise out two different directions, and the Ohio State troopers have the interstate blocked. There are two police cars I have it blocked, and now it's forcing me to go a different route. And I, I've never been down this other highway. I've, I don't know where it goes, and I'm processing everything because I know what's on the east side of Cleveland. I know what's there. That's the flats. That's the most violent part of the city, and I, I really don't want to go there. I, I, I want to avoid it. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go far enough down the highway. I'll cut over a couple roads, streets, go through a couple little towns, and I'll avoid the east side of Cleveland altogether. Well, all those little one-way streets kick me smack dab on the east side of Cleveland. I am in the hood. He said, well, how do you know you're in the hood? Because I'm seeing all the burned-up buildings. Now I'm seeing all the abandoned houses. Now, now I'm in blocks and blocks and blocks of housing projects. Now I'm starting to see the men on the corners holding up the walls. And then it dawned on me. God, you set me up. <laughs> I know you put me here today. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm here now. So I spent an hour and a half driving around the east side of Cleveland. I wear contacts and I begin to weep. I, I begin to sob. I begin to, to cry really hard. And I had to pull my car over. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, please don't let the police uh, come behind me because this is going to look really awkward. I said, God, why am I crying like this? And I heard him saying that still small voice because, Jay, this is how I feel every day. I want you to plant church in this neighborhood. I said, okay, God, I will if you give me church planters. It took him a year and a half to give me the Willard family. They're very educational. They hit the ground running. They moved, they bought a house in the neighborhood. They moved there. They started doing ministry. And what happened was it forced them to plant a church in their house. Can you imagine on Thursday nights having between 40 and 60 people in your house? That's like one section of people. So then they went to Sunday mornings. And, and then they started an after-school tutoring program. Monday through Friday, they would have over 20 kids in their house tutoring them after school. And then the most amazing thing happened. The 1,600-square-foot house next door came up for sale, and the bank sold them the house for $500. So they moved the church next door, and, and they, you know, they've been operating out of that. And then last year in February, the same bank owned a tavern they had a building attached to it with a two-bedroom apartment, so the bank sold them the uh, tavern for 500 bucks. And then in August, the, the bank issued them a check back for $500. Gave them the building for free. And so they're renovating it right now. They're getting ready to open it. Do you know what the church is going to be called? The Tabernacle. <laughs> That's what they're calling it. People got drunk in the flesh for years. Why not get drunk in the spirit? 
So here's where we're at. We're in Washington, D.C., Southeast. We're in Staten Island, New York City. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. We're in Covington, Kentucky. We're in East St. Louis, Cottage Hills, Illinois, St. Louis, Missouri. We're in uh, New Orleans in the St. Rock 7th Ward. We're in Denver, Colorado. We just opened up in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona is a, a city that has 22,000 homeless people. We are positioned within three blocks of the largest homeless shelters in the city. At any given time, there are two to 4,000 homeless people trying to get into the shelters, living in tents and cardboard boxes. It, 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 would you see that? It's like going to L.A. and seeing Skid Row. Your mind just cannot comprehend it. But yet that's what God has called us to do. September of this year, we launch in Bucktown, North Chicago, which is, you know, Chicago's become one of the most violent cities in America right now. So this is what I know, that we run our ministries debt-free every month because of the generosity of God's people. And so if and when the time comes and you guys are able to pick up a new missionary or two, would you prayerfully consider supporting us monthly? Because that's how we're able to do our stuff. It's through monthly support each and every month that we're able to launch into not only these cities, but more cities to come in the future. Amen? God bless you. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. What's different about Urban Outreach is a lot of church planning organizations, their church planners last anywhere from maybe a year to at the most three years. Because that's not an easy road. It's a difficult situation to go into a place with their family and kind of be not just uneasy, but your life in danger. But Jay invests his life and invests his livelihood into these men, into these women. And you know what? They know that he's committed not just to the work that's going on, but to them. And the incredible thing about it is that, you know, this is a kind of ministry that a lot of people shake their heads and say, how in the world can you be debt-free? He has all kinds of people asking him, you know, do you have some special way you fundraise? And they're asking him how to do it. <laughs> it's like, don't we get it? Our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> Amen? It's nothing to God. And here's the cool thing. God uses us as vessels. And so I want to urge you and challenge you. This marks the sixth month. The sixth month of our faith promises. Next week, Mark Sullivan. Many of you know him. We've been supporting him as a missionary associate. He now goes on the field after this itineration as a full-term missionary. He's going to Laos. He and his family is going to be the only missionary in that country. I had an afternoon where I just sat and talked to him, and he said, I'm scared to death, but I know God's called us. He said, my wife doesn't know what to think because we're taking our, our little child there. We got another one in the way. He said, what are we thinking? We're thinking that, you know what? We want to be where God wants us to be. So I want to challenge you. Some of you, God is calling you to give today. But you know what? I believe that some of you, God's calling you to go. 
I'm going to ask you to begin to pray about that. And some of you may say, what, what does that mean? What does it look like? Ask God. He knows. He put Jay in situations where <laughs> normal men and women would say, are you crazy? <laughs> but God so loved that he gave. Amen? Father, we just thank you so much. God, do you love us with a love that doesn't stop. God, it overrides all the issues, all the difficulties. And God, I thank you that, Lord, even as that church, God, is going to go up in Phoenix, God, and among 20,000 plus homeless, God, they're homeless because they don't have a home in heaven promised for them yet. But Father, I thank you that, God, there's going to be many that are going to know they have a home in heaven because their lives are going to be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. And I thank you for that. And God, I pray that you just would wake people up. God, wake up your church. Help us to see the lost as you do. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would hear your call. Thank you, God, that you are still calling. God, may we hear that. May we see around us, God, the mission field you've given us. May we see, oh God, those that we live amongst, that you've called us to be the message. You've called us, Father, Lord, to be your hands and feet, to love them, to allow your grace to flow through us, to allow your power, God, to be revealed. And so we ask right now, God, you bless his gift and giver in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Next week, we're going to uh, finish out Be the Message. This is the week we kind of missed, and it's actually developing your character. Uh, Pastor Zach's going to challenge us in that because you know what? Unless the character of God is built in us, we can mess things up a lot, can't we? So I just want to challenge you. You don't want to miss that. Uh, praise God for those that have been part of the small group. I know that there's some small groups that are going to continue on through the summer because they've just been having a good time and uh, challenging each other and uh, to be the message. And testimonies coming out of that about uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing what God is doing, just acts of kindness. Praise God for that. Amen? It's time to get excited. It's time to be the message. Let's stand together. Let's just declare the name of Jesus together. Jesus. Jesus. We thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you gave your life. That grace is that that we know is because you became grace. Jesus, thank you that you give us what we don't deserve that you allow us an opportunity for life everlasting. And Father, you've called us, God, to declare this message. God, of so many people that, in our world that are hopeless. Father, of so many people, God, that, Lord, they think they've tried it, but God, all we knew is religion. God, may we share with them that it's not religion. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's life. And God, I pray that you just would begin 
to open our eyes, God, to see the divine appointments you give us. Those that in the past, God, we've just been, Father, so distracted that we missed them. But God, thank you. You're a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. That, God, you're going to give us an opportunity, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel. God, to be your hands and feet. To reveal to them your love. God, that you have a plan for a hope and a future for them. And we thank you for that. And so we give you praise and we give you glory. And we declare Jesus. Jesus is the only hope for our nation. And we ask it together. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.